Okay, uh, we're in First Peter this morning. You can flip over there to chapter 1. This morning we're going to be looking at uh, the mystery of salvation revealed. That's the name of the sermon. Uh, in case uh, uh, Rich is listening, you can just, you don't have to text me later. There it is. So, Peter ended our last section by saying that the goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And he picks things up in verse 10 by continuing to talk about the salvation we enjoy because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He's already told us a lot of great things about salvation, but there's even more that he wants to make us aware of. And so that's kind of where we pick things up today in verse 10, where it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is actually kind of an interesting little detour that Peter seems to take here. He could have jumped right into the next section, which has to do with how Christians live in light of uh, the great gift of salvation that we've received. You know, how do we now live is kind of the next thing we go to. But instead, we see him stop and just take a minute to explain the long journey this salvation went on before finding us. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but God's salvation found you. And that journey took a long time. A lot of moving parts and pieces. And that's kind of what we're going to look at. Many of the recipients of Peter's letters were Gentile Christians, and they would not have been familiar with the Old Testament and with the story of the Bible. So Peter's going to take some time to let them in on the unfolding of what has been a rather remarkable mystery for thousands of years that's now being unfolded and revealed. I love those movies where you have to kind of like put the pieces together as you're watching the movie. You know, you got to get this piece and that piece. And, and as the, all the pieces come together, all of a sudden, like there's this great epiphany, you know, the butler did it or he was dead the whole time or, or whatever it happens to be. I mean, it's like pff, your mind is blown now that you get this. That's kind of what the, the Old Testament prophets were doing in regards to salvation. They searched and inquired carefully to figure out the person, the time, the circumstances, the sufferings, and the glories that would follow. It's kind of like God had this treasure map that he, that he you know, tore into different segments and just kind of dropped pieces of them throughout history. And now these guys are like trying to get it, you know, these things put together to figure out the, um, the wonderful picture to where we can see, you know, find out where the treasure's located, so to speak. The first piece was revealed shortly after the fall of Adam and Eve. This is in Genesis 3:15, where God says to the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is what theologians refer to. If you want to impress your friends, write this down. This is called the proto-evangelium. I don't know if you sound impressed, but that, that's like, it just means the first gospel or the first good news. So in the Bible, the very first time we we get a glimpse of the gospel is in Genesis 3.15. Right after sin and death entered God's good creation, an announcement of a Savior who would come to resolve the curse of sin and death is announced by God. That's the first piece of the the map. And then later we would see another piece unfold in Deuteronomy 18.15 where Moses would speak about the prophet who would come and speak the very words of God. 
And Moses stressed the importance that the people listen to this prophet. Isaiah would later tell us that a child would be born of a virgin and that his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't that cool? Micah would speak of a great ruler in Israel who would be born in Bethlehem, right? But then it goes on to say even more, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Like a baby's going to be born whose coming forth is from ancient days, you know? Hmm. Another piece. Malachi told us about a messenger who would prepare the way for the Lord and that this Lord, he announced, would come on the scene suddenly and enter his temple and bring with him a new covenant. And then 500 years prior to it happening, Zechariah provides another piece by saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, I can imagine Zechariah's rightness and going, what? A king coming in and, and donkey? A colt? Like, that's not how a king rides into town. Write it down, Zechariah, right? Yeah, I'm not asking you. <laughs> write it down, right? Why would he write that? Well, now I picture Jesus, you know, 500 years later, riding into town. Amazing. And then the prophet Daniel would speak of an anointed one who would be cut off, which is killed. Then you have the big X on the map of salvation ended up being in a place no one could have ever imagined. It brought them to a skull-shaped hill called Golgotha, where God would suffer and die for his creation. Can you imagine the prophets trying to piece this together and figure this out? Nobody could figure this out. Nobody could come up with a plan like this other than God himself. Well, Jesus himself said in John 5.39 that if you search the scriptures, it should lead you to him because they bear witness about him. The whole incredible journey of salvation is really the big story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it tells the story of God's mission to save a people to establish a king and to establish a kingdom. You know, just imagine being one of those prophets and being given this incredible information by the Holy Spirit. Hey, there's going to be a specific person at a specific time and place that's going to do these specific things. This is how it's all going to unfold. And then, and then they're waiting and wondering to see how it's all going to happen. I can imagine them laboring and studying to try to figure it out. You know how we do that now with, you know, end times. These people come up with, okay, we've got charts, we've got graphs, we've got predictions. You know, that's kind of what they would have been doing. They probably were doing it better, and they still probably got it wrong. A lot of the predictions I see for the second coming are like, well, that was, you know, that one didn't happen, that one didn't happen, but still fun. I'm guessing the prophets struggled to put these pieces together too, but it still would have been awe-inspiring to think about. It's really easy for us who know Christ to look back, you know, and see the map completed and be like, what's so hard about this? You know, this is like, it's obvious because we see it, right? But for them, one, they didn't have all the pieces. They were, they were fragmented pieces. And two, it wouldn't have fit with their paradigm at all. And what I mean by that is it goes on basically to tell us in verse 10, Peter gives kind of the, one of the first clues that they would have gotten. He mentions that this coming salvation would have been based in grace. Now read it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. 
Grace represented a completely different covenant than the one that they were under. The old covenant relied on works and law-keeping. It was up to the individual to keep that covenant. The new covenant relies upon grace, and it's up to God to keep this covenant. That would have been a really hard code for them to crack, or hard to wrap their minds around. How could God offer grace to guilty sinners and still remain just? Well, this grace would come in the form of a person who would do the works and keep the laws that we were incapable of doing and then credit us with what he had done. <laughs> it's like, again, I don't, they, how would they have come up with that exactly? But that's, what, that's the answer. Jesus is going to do all the good works. He's going to keep the law perfectly. And he's going to say, here, you can have my record. It's like, what? Jeremiah actually spoke about this. In Jeremiah 23.6, it says, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. The, The piece of the map was there. So the prophets understood that a new covenant of grace was coming. But in verse 11, they get another clue. It tells them that the Spirit of Christ, also known as the Holy Spirit, for you people looking for Trinity, the Trinity in the Bible, here's a, good, here's a good one right there. The Spirit of Christ let them know that this coming grace would come at a painful cost to the Christ or to the Messiah. In verse 10, it says again, I'll start reading, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So not only would Christ give us his record of righteousness, he would also pay the debt that we owed and receive the just consequences we deserved for our sins by suffering in our place. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah 53. Hundreds of years before it happened, listen to what Isaiah prophesied. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, this stuff is, I mean, I'm just like, this is so glorious to see this, this map of salvation kind of coming together for me. For me, anyways, I'm just putting this together this week. I'm just, I'm weeping, I'm, I'm rejoicing, I'm worshiping. I'm just like, this is awesome, Lord. God treated Jesus the way he should have treated us so that you and I could be treated as his sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? So the prophets got a glimpse of the sufferings of Christ, but they also got a sneak preview of the future glories that would result from the cross. Listen to what Daniel says in chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now, we, like the prophets, are still waiting for that one, right? Jesus talked about these very things 
when he was walking with the guys on the road to Emmaus. I don't know if you remember this story, but you know Jesus had died. He had been crucified, and everybody that was ha- that had their hope that Jesus was going to somehow rescue them or you know save save Israel and all these kinds of things were, were walking around just dumbfounded, almost dejected, wondering what was going on. They were trying to piece together everything that just occurred after Jesus' death and burial. What does this mean? What do we do now? And then Jesus comes walking up and joins them. I just love this. And, and what you're going to see is that Jesus expected them to have a better understanding of what was going on based on what the prophets had written. He, he's kinda, he kind of almost rebukes them. So you just picture the risen Jesus comes walking up and joins in their conversation, and, the, and he helps to pull the map together for them so they can see it. Luke 24, 20, verse 25, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine being a part of that Bible study? (laughs) I mean, just to sit there and listen to Jesus, just walk through the scriptures and explain, you know, this is the, this is the story of salvation. This is all about me. I don't know if we get to sign up for Bible study classes in heaven, but if we get to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for this one for sure. I want to sit down and I want to hear this one. Our passage goes on to tell us even more about what the Holy Spirit revealed to the prophets in verse 12. It says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the Holy Spirit made it clear to them that the work they were doing and the things they were speaking were going to impact people's lives in the future. God was going to use it to bring salvation. I don't know if you know what it was like to be a prophet. I mean, just based on what we read, um, being a prophet was not always the most popular job in Israel. They, they were often ridiculed. They were often ignored. A lot of times their message was basically repent or suffer the consequences. That's not a fun thing to have to tell people all the time, but that was part of what their job was. But what, what, what this verse is telling us is that every word they spoke mattered. It mattered to God and it mattered later to us. Thousands of years later, the words they spoke still matter. It reminds me of what's said by Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 11. God says, so my word Uh, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God spoke through the prophets and then the apostles and and what he said through them is still accomplishing its purposes. And and it gives me comfort to know that because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you're, you're investing, you're teaching, you're preaching the gospel, you're teaching God's word and you're wondering, like, it feels like it's just hitting a wall and, you know dropping. Like, what is the point? What am I even doing this sometimes? I don't mean today. You know, you guys are great audience. <laughs> You're like, we're listening. But I mean, that, that idea, you know, I remember working with youth groups and, and I remember working, you know, just for a long time, you feel like, is, it, is this getting through to anybody? Does this matter? And God said, no, if, when my word goes forth, it'll accomplish its purpose. It'll do what it's supposed to. You can preach the gospel to somebody and get, you know, either physically slapped or emotionally slapped or whatever and walk away dejected. But you don't know what God's going to do with that seed. You have no idea where that's going to travel, how that's going to go. Believe that it will work. God will accomplish what he wants to through those things. Well, this section ends with one last phrase that's easy to read and pass by, but it's pretty fascinating to think about. 
It says that salvation has come to us. Uh, it not only captured the attention of the prophets, but it also captured the attention of the angels. <laughs> it's something that fascinates them, and I'm guessing probably perplexes them at the same time. Have you ever thought about salvation from the angels' viewpoint? Um, the Bible gives the indication, it doesn't say it just flat out clearly, but it gives the indication that there is no redemption available to angels. If they sin and rebel against God, they fall from grace, and they don't appear to get a second chance. So can you just imagine what they're thinking when they look at us? <laughs> and I'll leave you out of this. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just bring myself into this, right? But I just picture an angel, like, watching Brent, you know? Like, I don't know if we're assigned angels, but just say there's one that's been watching me the whole time. And he's looking at me, and he's looking at my life, and he's looking at God, and he's looking at me, and he's looking at God, and he's like, why? Why would you offer grace? Why would you offer anything to him? It's got to just baffle their minds. And yet... We read this, Jesus told us in Luke 15, 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So even though they may not get it at all, they rejoice when it happens. They rejoice to see sinners saved. And the reason for that is, guess who it glorifies? It glorifies their God. You know who's going to get credit for salvation when we stand in, in the throne room of God? It ain't going to be me. <laughs> I mean, it'll be pretty clear who gets the credit. And that's why the angels can rejoice, because they see a gracious, merciful God. And then there's this crazy verse in Hebrews 1.14 that, that I just, it completely blows your mind. If you've ever read it and really just, some, you know how we read through things and just kind of go, eh, I'll just keep going. Just listen to this. Hebrews 1.14, this is what it says about the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? Huh. I mean, it's like God dispatches angels. And the, and the language here is that they continue to get dispatched. He sends these angels out to minister to those he's saving. I don't know what all that means, but I know some of you have kept these angels pretty stinking busy, right? <laughs> you know who you are. I don't have to tell you, but you know, some of you guys have like, they're like, like, I don't think they can get winded, but if they could, maybe. It's interesting to think on that, isn't it? So, so that's kind of the passage this morning. Then I want to just bring out a couple of takeaways that we can look at this morning. Peter took this little excursion to lay out the history of God's plan of salvation so that we could read it today and be convinced of a couple of things. The first one is the absolute certainty of our salvation, and the second one is the absolute blessing of our salvation. The first one is the certainty. God's plan of salvation was set in motion before the foundation of the world. It was never plan B. Do you, do you guys know that? It wasn't like Adam and Eve sinned, did what they did, and then God went, oh, no, what do I do now? You know, I, I, I got to scramble to come up with another, another plan. This didn't work, so what next? We know that this is true because if you look down at verses 19 and 20 in the same chapter, they tell us that Jesus was foreordained, foreknown, foreordained, same word, to be the lamb without blemish or spot who would be slain for our sins. And when was that determined? Before the foundation of the world. 
Jesus was always plan A. The plan to save sinners was put in motion before the world was even created. And that means that nothing about our salvation has been left up to chance. I don't know what that means to you, but it means everything to me. Because I'm convinced if I could mess this up, if I could, if I could do one thing to mess this up, I would. And that's why Spurgeon one time talked about how like if there's just even one thread in my heavenly garment that's of my own doing, like the whole thing's just going to come unraveled. And I know that with all my heart. But listen to Jesus' own own words about our salvation in, in John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That means I can't, I can't mess this up. I will be raised up on the last day because that's the will of the Father to do that. And Jesus won't lose me. I can't get away from him. And if, if you need more convincing, listen to John chapter 10, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I don't remember who said it one time, but they were like, Jesus' hand and the Father's hand, and you're stuck in this holy hand grasp. Like, you know, go ahead and give it a try, you know. You ain't going to get anybody out of that because they're not going to let it happen. So for those who have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, for those who are his sheep, you can be certain of your salvation. And it's also comforting to to realize that everything the prophets said about our salvation as it relates to the first coming of Jesus came to pass perfectly. And that means that everything they said about his second coming is going to come to pass perfectly. Our future salvation is certain. Jesus' return for us is certain. The things he promised us are certain. And Peter doubles down on this in in 2 Peter in regards to the the validity of what the prophets say. In 2 Peter uh, 1, 20, he says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's again, he's just putting a stamp on what they said. This you can take to the bank. So that's the absolute certainty of our salvation. Now I want to think about the absolute blessing of our salvation. Have you ever really stopped to think about the journey that salvation went on in order to get to you? All the parts and pieces, all the prayers said, you know, how many grandmas on their knees praying for their grandkids, uh, all the circumstances that had to come together, all the the different things that God wove just for you. And then then multiply it out to everybody that's been saved, right? Think about everything that had to happen for all this to to come together so that you could meet Jesus. And I think about back on my life and I think about all the, the ways that he had his hand on me, all the ways that he protected me. I did some really stupid things. I thought about telling a couple stories and I thought, you know, it almost is like, I remember doing this with our kids and they're always, you almost like gave them ideas. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to be like, Hey, I mean, it's stuff that I still can't, and there's, I can't believe I'm alive. Quite frankly, some of the dumb things we did as kids. Um, 
And then I just realized that this was just God working out the plan of salvation in my life. The things that I believe, the things I went through, all of these things led me to this point. I can, I can see now how his hand was on me my entire life. I didn't become a Christian until I was 19, but my whole life, his hand was upon me. And it brought me to this day when I fell on my knees before him and I cried out for forgiveness and I asked him to be my Lord. And, you know, again, I'm so blessed. Did God need to do that for me? Did I deserve that in any way at all? No, no, he just blessed me with the riches of his love and goodness. And again, I'm, again, I'm still picturing the angel right now going, why? I don't know why, but he did. We need to know the lengths that God has gone to, the love he has for us and the price that was paid so that we could be saved. Do you dwell on that ever? It means everything, especially when times get difficult. You know, Peter was writing to a church that was going through some really hard things. And right now I'm speaking to a church that's going through some really hard things. And knowing, knowing this means so much. Are we exiles? Yes. Do we have trials? Yes. Will this life be hard? Yes. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you've seen it and you've heard it, guess what? You are so blessed. How profound should the impact of this blessing be in your life? How should those to whom it has been revealed respond? You know, I, a couple of things popped into my mind, and one of them is that we should we should be able to persevere. This knowing this will help us to have perseverance. Know, knowing how much God wants to be with us and what we have looking forward to should help us to keep our eyes on the prize and keep running the race. I'm seeing a lot of people leaving the race right now. It seems, um, getting getting sidelined. Focus on, you know, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus. You know, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He kept moving. We have that same reason to look at the finish line. Picture your Savior there waiting for you, ready to accept you, ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and enter you into his kingdom. That gives me the perseverance to just keep on keeping on. And I am not a runner, so that whole thing is lost on me. <laughs> but, but I think I understand what they're talking about. The second thing that uh, has been revealed as far as how we should be respond or, or the way we should respond is worship. And when I say worship, I don't mean singing songs to God, although by all means, you know, knock yourself out. That's part of worship. I mean what's talked about in Romans 12.1, where it says, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable worship. Understanding what Jesus went through to secure our salvation should create within us worship, a devotion, an obedience, a heart to serve, not because we have to to please him, but because we get to. It's a response because of what he's done. We should be spilling over with gratitude because of this indescribable gift he's given us. I like the way the hymn writer puts it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. 
Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful prayer? You know, I think about like all the times that I'm sitting on the throne in my life. And Jesus is standing there patiently. I'm sitting in his chair, you know, and he's just patiently sitting there going, when do you want to get up and and let me be there? You know, and things go really well when I let him sit in his rightful spot. Get out of his chair, right? You know, let him do what he's supposed to be doing in your life. The third response for those who have been blessed by God's salvation is that we would tell everyone, right? I'll continue on with that same song. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. You know, you've been, this map has been put together for you so that you can see salvation. You can see the X that marks the spot where the treasure is. How will you use the blessings you've received from God? Are you going to hide that under a bushel basket? No, (laughs) you're going to, you're going to hopefully, uh, I don't know what the song is. Let it shine. I think, but I'll, I'll stick with the other song that I know. Forget that one. Use your blessings for the benefit of others. In the same way that the prophets were serving us, we are now serving others that that need to put these pieces together. Have you ever thought of it that way? That's what we're doing as Christians here right now. We're serving each other right now in this room from week to week. Part of what we do and part of what we gather is to remind each other of this salvation to remind each other of what God has done to, to be in relationship with you. I need to be reminded of that. It does something for me when I'm reminded of the gospel. We're also serving the people in this community. We're showing them where the treasure's hid. We're, we're going out and we're trying to tell everybody we can. And we're also serving future generations. You know, it's just so cool to think about that we're, we're passing this map forward so that other people can be saved. What a privilege that is. Have you ever thought about the Great Commission in this way? Christians were given a commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Salvation has found its way to us, and now we get to help it find its way to others. You get to take part in the same task that prophets and angels Take part in. It's like, how cool is that? Put that on your business card. It's like, that's all right. Well, even though this message of God's salvation is the greatest message in human history, it does you no good unless you personally lay hold of it by faith. If you have never done that, I would just encourage you today to recognize your sinfulness before God, the lakes he's gone to to provide a sin bearer for you, somebody who's willing to give you their righteousness And pay your penalty so that you can have life. It's only found through Jesus. You know, this is Thanksgiving week. We are living in a time when people are struggling to find things to be thankful for. And I hope in some small way, today's message just gives you a renewed perspective of all the good things God has done for us and all that we have to be thankful for. So, Father, um, we're just in awe of, of... this salvation, Lord. Thank you that Peter took this excursion to just remind us of the journey that salvation has taken throughout before the foundation of the world all the way to this place today, Lord. I pray, Father, if there's somebody here today that's never known this salvation, that today would be the day when they when they just unearth it and receive it. 
Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to tell other people about it. Um, and thank you so much for just saving us, Lord. We're, we're in awe and we're thankful. So bless this congregation. Uh, bless this week as we, as we do have a, a time to remember and, and give thanks. Help us to always honor you and uh, to love you and to make sure we're telling other people about you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.